Welcome to Energy Central's Power Perspectives, where we discuss the future of the energy and utility industry and the people making it possible. I'm Jason Price of West Monroe, Energy Central's Community Engagement Ambassador and based in New York City. With me in Orlando, Florida is Matt Chester, Energy Central's Community Manager and producer of the Power Perspectives podcast. Matt, it's October 2020, less than one month away from the elections and two months from when snowbirds typically flock to Florida for the winter season. That may not be the case this year due to COVID. Are you going to miss us? Man, Jason, the, the way this year is going and with how warm it still is down here, you could tell me it was already next spring and I might be convinced. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, Matt, I want to start with a cute analogy I heard from my friends at Con Edison. If Alexander Graham Bell were to reincarnate and walk down any street, he would see people talking into mobile phones. He would have no idea what to do with a smartphone. The device is untethered. The traditional phone component represents less than 5% of its use. And the system is a convergence of communication technologies all wrapped into a user-friendly interface. He likely would have no idea how to work this device. And yet, if Thomas Edison were to rise from the grave, of course, Halloween is a few weeks away, if he got up a ladder, he could tinker and find his way around a utility pole. Likely, he would figure things out. The takeaway, of course, is that compared to a telecom, our electric system has not evolved much in the last 100 years. No doubt there is truth to this, but Edison would have serious problems accepting the grid edge disruptions that come from DER. Today, we'll be talking about DER and specifically the management systems behind DER, typically referred to as DERMs, Distributed Energy Resource Management Systems, which our guests will argue is already obsolete. This should be interesting, but let's start with some definitions. Matt, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. When you hear of DER, what types of distributed energy resources come to mind? The ones that come to mind for me are, are the ones I might be able to utilize as a consumer, plugging in my EV, installing solar panels on my roof or battery packs in my garage, or even taking advantage of smart meter or demand response opportunities from my utility. That's right. Now define for us DERMs. That's based on reading I've done just in preparation for today, but I've, I've learned that DERMS is a software-based product that promises to solve challenges of integrating more you know, distributed solar, energy storage, demand response, and other uh, distributed energy resources on the grid, and to even use these DERs to improve the operation of the grid. You know, it's taken cues from the industry buzz around uh, distributed resource integration. Technology companies across the grid edge vendor landscape are seeking to claim their position in this emerging DERMS category. Perfect. The utility industry is evolving at a fast pace and proliferation of DERs is a key area driving this change. Market research finds that the annual revenue from DERs is expected to grow from $173 billion in 2019 to an estimated $650 billion by 2028. Much of this growth is driven by expansion in solar energy and electric vehicles as energy assets. And according to GuideHouse, install capacity of DER globally is expected to reach 530 gigawatts by 2026. This growth in DERs is not moving at a consistent pace across the country. With states like California, Hawaii, New York, Massachusetts, and Arizona leading the DER market, thanks to clear mandates for renewable energy penetration. California's demand response auction mechanism pilot program and New York's value of distributed energy resource tariffs 
are a few key examples driving this adoption. While the DER space is a rich, complex, and fascinating one, our area of focus today will be on DERMS. Joining us to talk about DERMS, and provocatively his position that DERMS as we know it is already dead, is Ben Ely, the principal of grid integration at the Smart Electric Power Alliance, or SEPA. Ben has been working in the DER space for about 11 years between his time with EPRI and now with SEPA. He led EPRI's team on communicating DER and now leads discussions in a variety of IEEE standards around grid codes, communicating DER, and requirements for grid and system interoperability. DERM's capabilities, requirements, and integrations have been an important part of these discussions. Matt, what do you make of the subject of today's podcast? Did you know that DERMS was already dead? I feel like I'm just learning about DERMS and now you're telling me it's dead. Well, <laughs> you mentioned that it's almost Halloween, Jason, so I'm wondering if, if DERMS could pull off the zombie move and rise again. <laughs> well, we'll have to wait and hear what Ben has to say. But before we bring Ben to the podcast booth, let's give a quick shout out to the sponsors who are making today's episode possible. To West Monroe. Westmoreland works with the nation's largest investor-owned utilities in their telecommunication, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. From defending a rate case to preparing a business case, Westmoreland utilizes a multidisciplinary team that blends utility, operations, and technology expertise covering topics including aging infrastructure, electric vehicles, AMI, MDM, and ADMS deployments, and industry disruptors like DER and cybersecurity. To ESRI, an international supplier of geographic information, GIS software, WebGIS, and geodatabase management applications. To Guidehouse, formerly Navigant Research, a premier market research and advisory firm covering the global energy transformation. And to Hancock Software, a streamlined commercial and residential energy efficiency retrofits. Their customers deliver more than double the number of retrofit projects with the same energy engineering staff. Now on to today's guest, Ben Ely. As already mentioned, Ben is an expert on all things DER, and as a member of Energy Central, Ben brings his experience to the community about where the industry needs to shift our way of thinking around DERMS. I'm excited to hear more about the future of DERMS, so let's waste no more time. Ben Ely, welcome to today's episode of Power Perspectives. Hey guys, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Before we get to your main thesis, Ben, let's start with the basics. Would you mind explaining a bit further to our listeners what a DERMS is exactly? Yeah, I'll be happy to. As we mentioned earlier, a, a DERMS is a control system. It's, it's really designed specifically to communicate with DER and help them manage it. And so it, you know, that could include devices like demand response, energy storage, solar, electric vehicles, or really any other technology that kind of gets bundled in that, that DER definition. All of these systems have some sort of communication capability that's tailored for DERs specifically, and then some interface for the operator so they can see the data coming in and out you know, between the DERMs and those, the DER that may be out in the field. However, beyond that, they really offer a variety of features, and it, it kind of depends on the utility and the, the service provider providing that DERM system to them. Something else that's kind of worth noting around this is that they can be located in a number of different locations. You know, some are tailored to be centralized. And you know, an example of that is Green Mountain Power has been using a, a sort of a form of DERMS for their well-known energy storage program. And they're working directly with Tesla, who's providing them with a, a management interface or a form of DERMS that controls all the different Tesla systems. I think last I heard, they had like 2,000 systems installed with 1,000 more planned this year. 
So it's a good example of how you can have a Durham that's centralized, but oriented for sort of a single manufacturer's project. I was hearing that they're saying that it was saving Vermont freight pairs like $3 million a year. So obviously it's working. There's also a set of these that are more field oriented and control a smaller set of DER that may be more local to each other. An example of this could be like a building management system. Avista recently did a demo. They called it a microtransactive grid. It was up in Spokane, Washington. And they developed a microgrid that leveraged different transactive energy signals. But at the heart of it was essentially a DERMS that managed a pair of batteries, solar arrays, and load control capabilities. And this one's an example. It's, it's pretty cutting edge because of the transactive element. Um, and then the last one I'll touch on, sometimes they're embedded. And this could be either in a centralized system or a field DERMS. And a, a good example of this is what SEE is doing. SEE has combined a bunch of new advanced enterprise systems into a whole new system they call a grid management system. And it has elements of DERMS for the DER management side, ADMS for grid management. They've got elements of SCADA systems for device management across the grid. They've got some reliability and economic optimization elements, forecasting, a whole slew of features that they put into this new system. But, you know, for today's discussion, the DERMS is actually embedded in this system which I think is kind of a cool way to look at it in the first place. But, you know, they're also getting ready to communicate with a variety of DER, including residential, commercial, and industrial systems. And with their Rule 21 smart inverter requirements and the 100% renewable rooftop goals through Title 24, they're going to have plenty of it to look at. So this is just a good example of a centralized DERMS. Okay. So, but as we tease, you posit that DERMS is dead. However, DERMS capabilities have been a hot topic for years now. Do you really think we're seeing the end of DERMS? So I think the concept of DERMS is probably going to stay around forever, but I do believe the term DERMS is going to fade. And I think we're getting pretty close to it being dead. Right now, DERMS has been at sort of an official buzzword status for quite a while now. And I feel it's an onion that we need to peel. That, you know, these, these systems promise to simplify management of DER portfolios. However, what they can do is really endless, and it's only limited by the innovation in of the industry, how we apply it, but also the, the capabilities and the algorithms that we put in these systems, which is good because it means that we're, we're innovating and we're finding new solutions. However, it also makes it tricky to talk about because it, it causes a lot of confusion because so many capabilities are being bundled you know, within that DERMS acronym. The other part that makes this kind of complicated is that DERs are becoming pretty common on the grid. So in systems like microgrids or campuses and residences, they're also trying to figure out how do you handle the higher penetration of DER, and it's leading people to refer to some of the control systems that they may use as DERMs on their own. So we have these sort of other systems that are now coming in under that acronym as well, kind of making it even murkier. And you know, as you know, terminology means everything. And my tactic's always been when a word gets overused or becomes confusing, we just kick that term and we find new terms that embrace some of these new identities and provide us with some additional understanding of the application or the, the capabilities or the different interdependencies that really define the system and the project. So I, I think it's dead, but in the sense that I think we need to just kick the term entirely just for the sake of clarity in the industry. So Ben, it sounds like this is it's almost more of a technicality where you're saying the many function of DERMs will persist, but we'll be calling each of them something different or, or is there something more fundamental going on amid the shift and emerging technology? You know, I, I think you're right. The natural choice I see is that we, we have to focus on the capabilities of the system. 
at SIPA, we had worked with our members to define five uh, about a year ago. And what we came up with was one was aggregation. So it's combining the ER into different grid-wide resources. The idea is to simplify the control and monitoring and the management of those grouped systems. Another was around simplification. And this was the concept of making settings and data easier to understand and act on. There's also automation, which is using algorithms to take some type of action. And it's often coordinated with other systems like a DMS that may be looking at the, the bigger grid picture. And then there's also operational information that these systems offer for individual or aggregated DER to help other systems, and then also forecasting. And I think identifying those was really critical for the development of DERMS as we're trying to figure out what these systems were going to do. But I think we're ready to go deeper and understand some of the nuances between each of these. I'm seeing service providers already starting to do this, which I think is a good indicator. The capabilities of these systems are, are already modular. And when you talk with a, a DERMS provider, they often sell these different capabilities as sort of application add-ons, just like when you buy a car. You know, there's some set of base features that you need, like a drivetrain or seats or steering wheel. However, there's tons of features you can add on to make it you know, faster or fancier. And in the Durham sense, each of these modules sort of adds some type of benefit to that core Durham's capability. I took a look at some of the Durham's providers out there this week. And for example, like Smarter Grid Solutions, they call out capabilities by device type on their website. They mentioned like batteries, they, they highlight different management capabilities that you may need, like managing it in alignment with grid and market drivers. They also call out some of the performance management related aspects such as warranties and value stacking, which are all important for when you manage an energy storage system. And another perspective, OATI provides a list of capabilities. They don't separate it by DERs, but they do separate the capabilities. And they include things like topological modeling, of the grid, as well as the DER, aggregation, virtual power plant type features, or even things like weather adjusted forecasting, among a, a list of others. Okay, you alluded to non-utility applications of DERMs earlier. The industry sometimes refers to systems like microgrid controllers as a type of DERMs. What do you think will happen with these types of systems? I think it's definitely impacting. You know, DER penetrations are rising, and it isn't just utilities who are working out how to manage them more effectively. Customers are also presented with scenarios where they may want to be managing their own DER for local or market-based benefits. And this could be something like a company who wants to manage their campus resources, a community that wants to have the ability to island and manage their own energy in times when resilience is important. Or, you know, just a tech-savvy homeowner with demand response and generation and a desire to, to tinker with them. But behind each of these is some sort of controller, whether it's a microgrid controller, an energy storage management system, building or campus management systems, or even just a DER site controller. And I've heard that some of these systems, like an energy storage management system, acknowledged as a flavor of DERMS. But I think it's also going to be more than that. Uh, so I, I think that they're going to evolve separately from DERMS. All of these systems share that same core capabilities, but provide their own unique features and flavors that have allowed them to have a unique identity separate from the DERMS label. And I think that has benefits. The, the mention of a name like a microgrid controller really brings together assumptions of the, the type of grid, you know, where the control is located, some key capabilities, and other aspects that are really critical for us to understand the picture of where that system is playing. And I, I think these terms are going to stay, but their capabilities are going to evolve. 
So even though I, I think that something like a microgrid controller, I don't think that term is going to change. I don't think a microgrid controller is, is dead. But I do think that as an industry, what we need to do is look at DERMS, understand how it's evolving, and consider how some of the innovations in that space are going to lead to further innovation in these sorts of local controllers. Well, while you were talking, I thought about maybe EIMS, Energy Impact Management System. How's that? You heard it here first. <laughs> I like it. We have to There's find a, one to sell out something fun, right? That's true. We'd have to get a little cuter about coming up with some abbreviation that we could say quickly and have a roll off the tongue. All right, but moving along, there have been some debates about whether DERMs are even needed. With the advent of technologies like microgrids, integrated plans like the virtual power plants and other grid edge opportunities, some stakeholders are finding that DERMs may not even be worth the trouble. In some cases, they have received significant initial pushback, like PPL's filing at the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission. Ben, what do you think about you know, what happened with these cases? I think one thing we have to do with these is, is really pull back the curtain on what exactly each of these deployments entails to really understand it. I, I find that as an industry, we really think of DERMs as a platform, but they're always associated with some type of bigger change that's happening at either the grid or the, the industry or the utility level. At the heart, a, a DERMS provides us with a tool to more effectively manage the ER. However, they also require a variety of different changes and upgrades. So this could be something like a, you know, different back office integrations between a, a DERMS and a customer system or a DMS. It could be new metering infrastructure that we have to put out there to have the visibility that we need. Um, telecom updates so we can have the bandwidth to actually communicate with these devices that the, the frequency we set, but it also has a people element. So there's workforce training. So how do people understand the data that they're seeing and know how to act on it, but also a mentality change. And that's broad. So I think any significant change to any one of these was well, going to take some time and a mixture of internal and external consensus building, which is What's kind of happening right now with PPL? They're talking with the industry stakeholders and trying to work out what the future is going to look like up there in Pennsylvania. And I find that a common misunderstanding today is that when we say DERMS, we really mean the whole system. However, the DERMS is really just the mix of software and hardware, the servers and the various interfaces. But it doesn't really include all of the systems that that DERMS interfaces with or really how we're planning on using it. I think that kind of links back to what I was saying earlier. I think the more we can peel back the onion and understand the capabilities these systems are playing, it's going to make it a lot easier to understand the specifics. And I think if we do that, it becomes easier to see why something like what's happening with PPL may be getting some pushback, why and others are not. And it's because they're all using the system differently and the sort of different levels of pre-existing consensus for each of them. Let's talk about the rising need to communicate with DER and its importance around cybersecurity issues. So given the core capabilities of a DERMS as communication, where do you see the industry going to ensure that connections are secure? You know, it's funny. Anytime I bring up communication, cybersecurity is always like the first or second question you get. How are we going to secure this? Cyber is going to be incredibly important. I think we have to understand what we're planning to do with the DERs to really understand the threats and how to address them. And I think we can identify some of these key modules and capabilities of a DERMS. It's really going to help us with the cybersecurity because we can better classify those applications and identify and address some of the risks that may be unique to each of them. 
Luckily, there's a lot of people out here working on this today. Right now, there's a discussion at IEEE around cybersecurity where they're going through and cataloging and characterizing different DER cybersecurity standards and the threats that are presented to those DERs. Uh, this is being done through its IEEE 1547.3. And in California, it's also being discussed as part of the California Smart Inverter Working Group. And they're trying to shape the Rule 21 interconnection tariffs, uh, which will be the requirements for DER interconnecting in the state of California. And at CEPA, we're also looking at this. We've got a working group where we're working with NIST to update some of their cybersecurity standards. We also have a task force that is identifying the risks of energy IoT devices, which includes DER. So I think this is certainly an ongoing but very important discussion as we think about what the role of DERMS is going to have in the, the bigger picture of the grid. Interesting. So where do we go from here? What do we need to do next? Now, there's, I was looking it up earlier. There's 27 utilities out there right now with carbon-free or net-zero goals by 2050. And when I see that, it highlights that DER is going to be an important part of meeting those goals. And so it's obviously going to be an important part of our, our grid. DERMS is going to be something we are going to need to help us manage all of this. At CIPA, we have an effort to address some of these issues. We're launching an effort to catalog DERMS variants and modules, document their purpose, and then compare them to some of the, the non-DERMS investments that are out there. We also want to try to capture case studies on what utility peers are doing today to really kind of shed some light on some of the topics we were talking about. And the goal is really just to help bring clarity to DERMS and to, to peel back that onion. We're planning on adding this alongside some of the, the work we've done on DERMS RFP language, which is helping people who are procuring utilities or otherwise ask the right questions so the system that they get uh, meets their expectations. And we're also doing work around how do you better plan for systems like DERMS in an integrated distribution planning process, or even some of the requirements we need to put on the DERs themselves so that they can work better with a DERMS. But I think the important thing that we need to do as an industry is start to change how we think about DERMS. When we talk about them, uh, if we're presenting on them, we need to get in the habit of explaining exactly what the DERMS is and what it's doing in that context. Or when we're listening to presentations, getting in the habit of asking the right questions to pull out that information. And I think if we all do this, what it's going to do is help bring clarity and make sure that the conversations that we're having internally within our organizations or even with regulators, it'll just become easier and it'll be much clearer what we're discussing. So I think DERMS is dead, but I, I just think it's the term. DERMs are going to be around for a while, but maybe just talked about in a, in a different way than they are today. And hopefully we'll find some, some fun new acronyms to, uh, to refer to them as. Well, this has been an enlightening conversation, and it's great to have a thought leader such as yourself in sharing insights with us on today's episode. We'll have to stay tuned to see if indeed we can write the obituary for DERMs or if they'll be rising from the dead. Ben Ely of SEPA, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Jason. It was fun. Always happy to chat. You can always reach Ben through the Energy Central platform or directly with SEPA, where he welcomes your questions and comments. Once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. See you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast.